You're listening to I Teach Therefore, a podcast that believes in elevating teachers and therefore the teaching profession by letting teachers be the narrators of their own stories. With I Teach Therefore, this is Susanna speaking. I'm here with Kristen and um, an officially recurring guest. We've got Micah Lopez here. We actually got to interview her with I Teach Therefore in collaboration with our podcast friend, Jen Maestas of Miss Education. And we got to talk earlier this summer you know, particularly about Micah's role as a teacher advocate. That's what so much of our focus was with you because it's definitely one of your strengths and what you're really passionate about, Micah. But it's funny because upon reflection, I started thinking about all your roles and, you know, you are a founding member of a new school. You are a friend and colleague that advocates for other teachers in the teaching profession you are a sped teacher, you're a mom, you have so many other roles. So I'm really glad that we're getting to kind of revisit with you after our conversation this summer. Do you want to talk a little bit more about your current roles in education and your role as a parent just to give listeners kind of a brief introduction in case they haven't tuned in to Miss Education yet? Sure, yeah. Thank you guys for having me here. I'm super excited to be back and to kind of check in with you both and see how everyone's doing now that we've actually and officially have begun the school year. Um, So I'm Micah Lopez. I'm a special education teacher that was transitioning during COVID from one school district to a public charter school called The Gathering Place. Um, I'm also an independent mom, so I have a five-year-old that is in school. So I was really juggling, oh my gosh, transitioning my SPED classroom online in the spring and then learning about this whole new school, The Gathering Place, and being a founding member, I mean, there's just so much to learn. It's a new school that is not very well known in the education world. You know, one, we're a charter school. Two, we're a project-based learning school. Three, we're a social justice school and an art school. So it's been a a learning experience, and um, the word that we keep saying on campus is an unlearning experience. We are unlearning so many things in the classroom and it's just been amazing. Unlearning. That one took me a second. I was, you know, my mind was initially going, I'm learning, I'm learning. And then you explained it. I was like, oh, that's not where I was going with it. But yeah, unlearning, which I feel like is really indicative of what a lot of people in um, our country are doing right now. Unlearning, you know, these systems that they have been brought up in or a part of that they either, you know, were cognizant or possibly not even cognizant of prior to this year. I, yeah, as you can tell, that's really sitting well with me. That's profound. So on that note, and particularly because uh, The Gathering Place is such a, you know, broadly spanning uh, school that is really trying to accomplish a lot of aims that we know are worthwhile, but that a lot of schools are scared to tackle. So We're curious to know what drew you to The Gathering Place to start with. That's a great question, Kristen. 
initially what drew me to the gathering place was that it was a social justice and an art school. When I read that, I said, what does that mean? Like, that sounds really awesome and like something I want to be a part of, but how and what does it mean? So when I met with Ryan and Asha, um, who are the co-founders of The Gathering Place, I totally just was vibing out with him. I totally got the vibe that it meant that they were taking a whole child approach to learning and to teaching and that our school was going to be focused around healing. So healing as individuals, healing from our own childhood trauma, and then making sure that we're not um, inflicting that same pain to our students and really seeing them as human beings versus a number, which I feel all teachers go into education because that's how we feel. But over time, we are very rushed and we are very pressured to really start pulling back on the relationships and the sense of community in a classroom. And we become very driven on scores and test scores and compliance and what compliance looks like in, from students. So knowing that that was that pressure was going to be taken away and kind of taken off of my shoulders in the classroom, I was like, sign me up. Where do I start with the gathering place? And on that topic, I went through three different interview processes. There were 2,600 teachers that applied for 47 positions at the gathering place. I interviewed for eight hours straight on one day. And on two different days, I was answering questions on um, social justice, like racism in San Antonio. I was answering questions on my own healing processes, um, what restorative justice looks like. So it was just that part alone, I was blown away that Asha and Ryan were truly in this to make changes. It didn't feel like I was just applying just to get a teaching job. It felt like I was stepping into a life-changing decision for myself for my previous trauma and for my daughter and for all the students that I will be working with. I was about to ask you, you know, that's a broad mission statement. That's a lot of focuses for one campus, especially in their foundation. And so I was going to ask, you know, what do you think uniquely qualifies the gathering place to take those on? So it's so nice to hear you talking about just the links that they went through on the hiring side, particularly with you guys. Can you speak any, just so our listeners have a better conception of how those founders, how they prepared themselves to take on those goals in starting a school? Yeah, so we're still in PD right now and we're really diving deep into who Asha and Ryan are and what our school is. Um, right now, we've really been exploring who we are as individuals. We have barely touched base as who we are as teachers because their mission is to find individuals that are very in tune with themselves, with their emotions, um, with their outlooks in lives, with their paradigms, and to make sure that those things align first. Because anybody, honestly, could go into a classroom and keep children safe and teach them something, right? Now, that's not the way that we look at teaching, but that's the truth. Our mission is sometimes to keep them safe um, and to teach something to them. 
And usually that comes from a textbook. Like, you know, we're given our teaks. We are a school that we haven't even mentioned the word teaks. It's almost like forbidden on our campus because it, it's a system that's been put into place versus a community that's been put into place. And, and the co-founders are very big on a sense of community, um, a sense of belonging. Yeah, so that's still an ongoing conversation. And every time that we meet, I'm just blown away by who they are as individuals. Yeah, I was actually wondering, you know, when we think of schools starting again, especially if you're on the educator side, you know that there is always that dreaded week of back to school professional development. I've been through (laughs) the gamut of really fabulous back to school professional development. I've been through times where they've given us you know, just a lot of trust in saying, we know you know how to get this started. We want to give you the gift of time. I've been through professional development that I've thought, yeah, this doesn't apply to me at all, or even this shouldn't necessarily be the priority right now. And I know you can speak to that, especially as a special ed teacher. I I feel like y'all are often neglected when it comes to campus-wide or district-wide professional development. So can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, how TGP tackled their back-to-school PD? It sounds like it's ongoing, given that they have these awesome goals and missions in mind, but also just that they're completely new. What, what did that look like for you guys? Yeah, that's another great question, and it's going to sound so foreign, but (laughs) PDs have been absolutely amazing. Um, So we have gone into the community, and we have learned from community members. We've gone to places like Gardopia, which is a garden on the east side, um, where they do a lot of community involvement. We've gone to Roots of Change, which is another... It's a garden and it's also a place where um, the homeless can go and seek help and find jobs. We've gone to a print shop to learn how to make shirts. Actually, the shirt I'm wearing is made uh, by myself. Um, So that's how we incorporated art into our PDs. We have just been all over San Antonio. Every, Every PD that we have is with a true mission to develop ourselves as um, humans. It's been amazing. We just recently visited the missions where we learned about the original San Antonio indigenous people that have been here and we paid respect um, to the people that have just, you know, have really been pushed back um, in San Antonio society and, and their children are the ones that we're teaching and how can we honor them in our classrooms and how can we bring in those community-based practices, um, like in restorative justice, there is a lot of honoring our past and honoring our future and knowing that when we close our door at the end of the day, that door is going to be closed for hundreds of days. And what is the energy that we're leaving in that classroom? And what is the energy that we're sending our students home with? And how is that energy traveling to their caregivers and then to the rest of the world? Um, So our PD has just been so amazing that when I have ARDS and when I have SPED meetings, I'm like, I don't want to step out. I want to (laughs) stay. Yeah, that's incredible. And um, it's really insightful too, to hear that your professional development thus far has been focused on you as a person 
prior to you as a person who's also a teacher. And in just hearing you talk about this, I think it's putting my own viewpoint into question because I feel like we've been so habituated into understanding, you know, students as individuals and, you know, tiny humans before they're, you know, a student with a disability or a student, you know, with et cetera. And yet I don't know that we've shown that same person-centered approach to teachers. And so I would love to hear, you know, to whatever degree you're comfortable sharing, but how that development has been like for you as a person. Um, you know, you mentioned you as an independent mom. How has it helped you to better understand your identity as well as, you know, you touched on the trauma. And I think when people hear trauma, they think of the capital T trauma, like a car wreck or, um, you know, more uh, major life events. But as we know, you know, trauma comes in many forms. And so, yeah, I just would love for you to share what that's sounded like so far in your development. Yeah. Um, and trigger warning for listeners. Um, it's been a hell of a ride. Um, I'm going to try to keep it together. Yeah, Monica, it does... share what you're comfortable with. Okay. Like, Definitely. Thank you for giving me that space. It, we went back into time in these trainings and said, where was the disconnection for us in any aspect throughout our childhood where it took place in a school? So for a lot of our teachers, they shared that it was, it was one particular student, right? Bullying or harassment in some type of form. Um, it was from coaches, maybe an inappropriate touch. Um, they do, we, we all dove very deep into those conversations. And for me, I realized that there have been times throughout my life where I was um, given a permissive outlook in the classroom. Like I will just pass this individual because they're on they're, they play sports or I will just pass this individual because um, they're on the drum line. So that was, that's very hard for me to realize that they weren't passing me because of what I, what was going on in my personal life. They were passing because that was their outlook on education. And so for, for many of us, um, we have to move past that negative um, talk that we give to our students. We have to move past just being permissive with them and really dive into restorative justice and what that looks like. And that means seeing our little humans as humans and knowing that they're ready for conversations on every single topic that you can think of. And that our students have real life situations going on in San Antonio and in the world. And those, um, the racism, the biases, those will carry on their whole life. And so as a teacher and an individual, the gathering place is here to call people out, to restore you know, to restore, to, to stop gaslighting, to change paradigms, and to provide just that support to the whole family, not only to the student. Yes, it, it's been a hell of a ride. We, we go back to this question every day, and it's what soil do we come from 
and how do we um, nourish that soil? When is it appropriate to water it? When is it appropriate to change it? When is it appropriate to just throw it out and start all over? The soil analogy really hit me. Like I just, I started getting teary thinking about what soil I'm coming from right now. And like I said, all of our previous recordings were recorded over the summer, this 2020 summer before we started officially remote learning. And this conversation right now, we're in the thick of it. It's October while we're recording right now. So, wow especially as it relates to that question that you touched on earlier with where's that disconnect in your childhood and your educational experiences. And I think it just plays so much as to anyone that's done learning on this kind of approach to education, no matter where they are in that learning process, has probably heard you know, students can handle these conversations. They're capable of a lot more than we typically as adults give them credit for because we're usually the ones, you know, a little bit more scared to initiate these kinds of conversations. But what I'm hearing is you you have to recognize that, but you also have to do a lot of work on a personal level. You have to do work, like you said, unlearning. You have to do work with probably just confronting things about your identity and your experiences that maybe are not as pleasant. Like just be candid about those things and that's super scary. Then you have to do the additional work of healing, like you said, yourself to make sure that you can go in to these classroom experiences with your best foot forward and ready to be that safe place for your students. Um, And all of this is couched in the professional development that you're getting from your school, which is great, but I'm just hearing the different levels of work that this takes. And I have to say, as amazing as the gathering place sounds, I also know you in our conversations that we've had in our friendship. And I know this is something that you were doing even before making that transition. I'm, I'm so glad for you that you're getting to have that be built in so intentionally into your day. But I also have to give you a shout out and say, I know you were doing that for your kids even before you had moved to the gathering place especially with your students that are in special ed and with your own daughter. So shout out Micah, cause you are incredible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. We have another saying. I love how now like the gathering place has all these things, but we also say it's hard work and it's also heart work. So I, yeah, can definitely agree. There are days where I'm just like, what am I getting myself into? Like, this is hard work. It's every single day. Yeah, but I feel like it's doing a really important job in that it's helping us evolve despite how far we've come and, you know, all of the pedagogical advances, technological advances, et cetera. I still don't feel like as a society, we fully shifted away from that, you know, one classroom schoolhouse model of what a teacher does, what a teacher is responsible for, et cetera. And 
as Susanna loves to remind everyone, and it's critical, that public education is the cornerstone of democracy. Um, it really is, and I, I'm smiling because I, it sparks a light in Susanna that just shines really brightly, and I, I love a good Susanna glow, but also the work that you're doing is in partnership with that new ideal and with that new conception of, you know, teaching isn't just about the TEKS um, or if you're outside of Texas Common Core or if you're in a state with another, you know, term for your standards, standards. It's so much more than that. And it's also so much more than even just the SEL, social emotional learning addition to that. Um, so in thinking about how the school is called the gathering place, is that something that's been explained or is that, I just, when you are sitting here talking about your professional development, I just see a, you know, circle of chairs and flowers and I, and I know it's not, you know, lovey-dovey and lighthearted because it's hard work as you mentioned, but, but can you talk to us about how that abstract concept has manifested in the physical space or in the conversations? Yes, definitely. Um, so schools have not changed in the last, what, 200 years? <laughs> um, and schools were designed to govern education, um, to govern what they know, right? To educate them is to govern them, is the saying. Um, Frederick the Great, I believe. And what a quote, you know, that's a punch in the stomach for me. I'm like, what? To govern the kids? What? So it's funny that you bring up circles because everything that we do is in a form of a circle. Um, we, all of our PDs are in a form of a circle and, and we have brought up the question like, why is it called the gathering place? And why are we always in a circle? And why is our logo a circle? And why, you know, why are we going to sit in the classroom in a circle? And it's because it takes away that that level of I am above you, you face me, I am the teacher, you look at me, it really creates that sense of community. Um, and, our, and at the gathering place, we are such a great community. I mean, just the people that are represented there, um, the way that we respect each other, the way that we honor each other, such as pronouns, the way that we call our parents, caregivers, um, which is something that from my last episode with miseducation, I have completely changed. So we, we're just really taking this approach of everybody is involved. Um, everybody belongs. And when I think of being in belonging, I think of a circle, right? Because everybody steps into that circle and everybody is included, no matter your race, your gender, your adversity, your lack of adversity, whatever it is, everybody is, is involved. Um, and that's what the gathering place is. That's where they got their name because they wanted to include everybody, a place in the middle of the city where everybody could come together and gather. I love that. It makes me think of funds of knowledge, like I, which I know is a kind of a ESL, ELL theory or practice. Um, but basically just that concept of instead of treating every child like or every every member of the school community community, not even just every child and learner, um, but instead of treating them like an empty slate, treating them like a full slate, full of experiences, full of knowledge, full of 
those unique backgrounds and, you know, personalities and culture traits and um, learned things generationally from their family that benefit the classroom and bring something to the classroom, which is, I especially love all the work that you're doing to pull in and listen to your community. That is so neat. Um, oh my gosh. I keep thinking of things, you know, Micah, cause I know in our miseducation episode, um, you talk so much about how you were that girl, that colleague, that professional, that tried things on your campus. And that's kind of what sparked your reputation amongst the other educators on your campus where, you know, you tried, what was it? Flexible seating. Yeah. And things like that, that kind of gave you the reputation of, okay, she's not afraid to do things. And then all of a sudden people just started coming to your door and saying, Hey, will you speak up for me in this way? Or how do you think I should broach this with admin? So that's something that I truly admire about you. And listeners, if you want to hear more about how she has always done that, go listen to our episode with Jen on miseducation. But I'm wondering, now that you're in a place that is so intentional and purposeful about fostering that kind of environment and community. What do you, what would you say to people that aren't in that kind of school that aren't in that kind of workplace? Yeah, that's a really great question and a hard question because it's hard to even remember myself before the gathering place. (laughs) I really feel like all aspects of my life have just really aligned and that I'm aligned with all these beautiful people where we're all aligned also in our personal and professional life. Um, But I think I would tell everybody is to continue to be the voice, what you feel inside your heart and your gut and that voice that's in the back of your head saying, do it this way, push and push and push and just keep going because our kids deserve deserve us. Our kids deserve those people that are willing to stand up in front of admin or um, whoever it is and put their, I don't want to say put their foot down, but put their foot down and say, my kids deserve more. And when I close my door, I'm giving them more, however you can. You mentioned closing the door earlier and you brought up the concept of energy and energy lasting. And I just want to know more about your thoughts around that. It's something that I, I'm a big believer in energy, and, and I, I know that others will benefit from this too, but honestly, I'm just really curious at your concept of energy and how it gets exchanged between you and your students and also, um, you know, hovers uh, even beyond the interactions. Yeah, and that's a PD that we've really um, have started this week. It's um, with restorative justice. And, and what that means is that we're looking at, at the past life of a student before they were even born. We're looking at the reputation that they have in society that they're born with. Um, we're looking at how we're going to leave this world or leave our class. That's how I use the analogy of shutting the door, but really leave the world and what education is going to look like and the people that i am surrounded with have such positive energy that no matter who we're speaking to in a classroom or on campus or outside of campus i think people really believe in our mission um, not only as individuals and teachers but also our school 
And I use the analogy also closing the door because there are many teachers, probably many teachers that are listening right now that close the door and they are not afraid to do what they need to do in the classroom when it comes to humanity. Yeah, I mean, we've been touching on equity a lot. And um, yeah, particularly, I think Kristen has mentioned this, people think of it in terms of race usually, but you're a special education teacher. So tell me, um, how do you define equity, uh, particularly for your students? And I mean that in a broad sense, but I also want to hear about it in a specific sense as you write IEPs and get plans together for your students, particularly when they're at home and starting a new school. What is that? What does that look like for you as a special education teacher? Yeah, so as the founding special education teacher, I have been given all um, goes for any idea um, in any way that I want to establish this first year, which is has been very challenging because there's no guidance. There's no one for me to fall back on and say, um, you know, what do you think about this? It's kind of just been like, I've got this idea. I'm going to try it. Okay, that worked. Okay, this didn't work. So for IEPs, I've changed things like instead of creating behavior goals, wellness goals, right? Because I'm already giving a student a, a behavior. Whenever we go into society, we all have self-wellness. You know, we're taking care of ourselves. So I've switched some of the wordings around, our words around um, to different things like wellness, um, and also we're 100% inclusion. So all of our students belong in the classroom in the least restrictive environment. And there's no discussion about they need to be pulled out due to wellness or they need to be pulled out due to behavior. Um, we're, just not in, we, we're just not at a campus or I'm not at a campus that believes um, behaviors can't be addressed in the classroom, you know, and, and that we don't need to be shaming our students based on their human reaction to stress and to not knowing how to read or, you know, not knowing how to count. Um, so for me, equity definitely looks like um, the gathering place because we're 100% inclusion and we will do anything and everything to make sure that our SPED students are represented throughout literature, um, throughout play, um, and in the classroom, that they stay in the classroom with their peers. Yeah, that's really powerful too in thinking about um, the professional development that you shared where it was talking about the erasure of um, people in the area and, you know, in thinking about the erasure of voices and narratives in our history. I, you know, Susanna mentioned that when I, um, Think of equity I, I want to put you know race is a huge piece of that particularly in light of recent events but there are also so many other social identities that are intertwined um, into who we are and and you know what is salient for us and when a certain identity is salient for us in a certain situation and in thinking about the inclusion it it makes me pause and think yeah, what, what are the voices and the narratives of, um, you know, individuals with disabilities um, in our history? And do we not have a clear voice of their stories and of their experiences because they've been othered? And, you know, 
made to feel as though they should function in this separate space and outside of one another when, you know, in reality, that's, that's not how the world works. And then it's also not serving them and nor is it serving the other students. Um, and I, I realize that you've, you know, been in a virtual teaching realm, but what, what does that spark in you in thinking about how your own job is going to also look very different in this full inclusion environment? Yeah, it's, it's definitely been challenging to think, you know, getting IEPs and seeing students that were maybe in a behavior unit and then knowing that they're going to transition into a gen ed classroom. Um, but our environment is so catering to human needs. Um, I don't even like to say student needs anymore because it's really catering to human needs. We have an open campus, which means anytime that a student needs to just go take a walk or go to our Zen garden, they're welcome to. Um, anytime that a student just needs to take like a five minute break outside of the classroom, they're welcome to. We don't have halls at our school. We had ga like gathering workplaces um, with a big clear window. So when a student leaves your classroom, they're in one of those gathering places and you can still see the student through the glass um, window. So we trust our students, which is something you don't hear a lot. Um, we trust our five-year-olds, we trust our six-year-olds to really navigate their own needs um, and to advocate for their needs. And that's beautiful. And again, it comes back to what's appropriate, um, what, what are the conversations we're having with our kids. And from the get-go, we're letting our students know that we trust them and that they have this, this human right, you know, to go and use the restroom when they need to, to go and, and take a little breather from class. Um, so although it seems really intimidating for me, I've really had to change my own paradigm and believe in myself and truly believe in the Gathering Place mission and know that it's all going to come together and that it's gonna work. Speaking of believing in yourself, I forgot to shout you out for giving us the metrics of just how special you are to have been hired at this really special school. I was like, yes, tell me about the number of applicants. Tell me about the number of hours that you interviewed. We particularly, we as women typically are not good at that. And I, I just love it. You, I'm, I love it. And I am singing your praises as well. Yeah, they remind us of that pretty much daily. And they tell us, you belong here. You are 47 of 2,600 applicants. And that is the prestige that everyone who's a teacher deserves to feel. And I'm getting teary, you know, thinking about this and hearing this right now, just because particularly right now, surrounding wellness and positivity, which are two words that you've used so far in this conversation, I've really encountered them in well-intentioned ways, really well-intentioned ways, but they've been really negative experiences. Just as an educator currently in the time of Corona, you know, I keep getting this like take time for self-care and, you know, practice wellness and slap a positive attitude on it. And I know that those things are meant to come from places of bolstering me and encouraging me, but it's been really 
hurtful, which is hard to explain, but it, it somehow hurt me. Um, and it's just so interesting hearing that, that your current experience has been so focused on your individual and your students healing and true wellness. And you said you're all of your colleagues are some of the most positive people, you know, and that's clearly not the focus isn't on, um, turning off your email at the end of the night, which is something that needs to be done, but is a, is a really typical example of a placating thing you could do for wellness or like getting your favorite Starbucks drink or, or just hearing someone say, be positive. <laughs> Those things are, I think the route that many are taking right now on their campuses to attempt to combat so much of the emotional hardship that's going on with everyone in a school building right now. And yet it doesn't like in my personal experience, it doesn't always feel successful. So it's so cool to hear that your current workplace isn't shying away from those hard conversations. And it's having this effect of building this deeply meaningful and human connected, positive environment, so to speak. So I'm really glad that you've touched on that, Micah, because gosh, I think, I just think I need to hear it. But I think a lot of educators, particularly in educators that are in positions of power, need to hear that that kind of thing needs to be acknowledged to build true belonging. But I'm curious, you know, you've been waxing poetic <laughs> about being a founding member, but what are the challenges of starting a school entirely, you know, from scratch. And I know there's been a lot of things put in place, but what are the challenges of not being able to say, well, the way we've always done it is, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yes. <laughs> it has been so challenging um, because we have to examine ourselves and be true with ourselves and be true with others and say, okay, but what kind of practice was that? You know, was that a whole a whole child approach. Um, we have four principles. They're being and belonging, critical consciousness, creativity, and collective capacity. So everything that we do from lesson plans to the conversations to the way that we structure our day, we have to ask ourselves those four things. Um, and when we do that, if things don't align with one of those principles, then we walk away from it and we just leave it because we know that that is a mindset that hasn't yet changed or we haven't yet grown in that area. Um, so it, it's been really challenging one to, I just finished like 30 arts, which um, is a special education phrase, <laughs> but basically they're long meetings where you review um, students' individual education plans. And those were on students that I have never met from multiple campuses or districts around San Antonio. Um, those are from children that I have not worked with in person. There were times where I was just over it and I was thinking like I should be at my previous campus where I at least know my students. I know my population of students. I know what's expected of me. Yeah, so it's been very challenging having the freedom 
to one, look at my students as humans, look at myself as, hu as a human and use my own voice and say, this doesn't work for me. This doesn't align with me personally. Um, and then it's also been beautiful because the gathering place has its own voice where our admin will say, that doesn't align. Like, don't even worry about that. That Why are you asking that question? Like, that doesn't align with our campus. And, and from what I know about you, that doesn't align with you. So it's been a huge unlearning process. It's just been out of this world to really see how I was for the last four years and how I will be for the rest of my life. But I think it would be, you know, just like the height of hubris to presume that that wouldn't be really emotional. I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm hearing about this and I wonder if other listeners are thinking that's all fine and dandy, but when it comes to me, it just, I don't know. It sucks to get critical feedback. It just does. Let's be honest. Even if it's for the benefit of students. I mean, I would lay down my life for my kids, but it so sucks to hear when I'm not doing something fabulously just because we already get so much critical feedback. So what has that looked like for you? I mean, I feel like that's been just such a really big thread that we've been pulling in this conversation how do you ground that for yourself, even when it does get heavy in ways that are uncomfortable? Yeah, that falls back to what I do best. I stand up for myself and I say, I need, I'm walking out. I need an hour. I need, you know, 20 minutes, whatever it is. And the gathering place has been so wonderful about saying, we're about to get deep into this topic. And if this triggers anything for you, if this does not align with you, please use this time for wellness. Um, there has been so much wellness built into our schedule that I've asked myself, like, what the hell is wellness? What do I do? Like, what? it's, it's two o'clock. What do I do for the rest of the day? And, and yeah, it, it, it's beautiful to see that there's space given for me to decide does this conversation align with me? Am I ready to go there? Am I ready to take off these layers that I've had for 30 years? Um, so it, it's been, like I said, unlearning, standing up for myself, advocating for myself, and knowing that I'm not going to get any pushback from that, that um, our co-founders are going to say, okay, take that time, take the time, do what you need to do. If you need to go home, that's fine. If you need to turn off your camera, if you need to leave the zoom, that's fine. We get it. As your um, community and school community continue to grow, what role do you see kids playing in kind of driving the mission? Because I'm, I'm hearing a lot about so much um, work that you guys as adults have put into creating this vision um, and making it come to life. But as the years continue, what voice will the students have on y'all's campus? Yeah, that's a fun question because that's where project-based learning comes in. And our students have already been doing amazing things. They've been going into our communities or going into their communities and looking at real issues in the communities, real concerns and addressing those um, concerns and, and really working on projects that 
are lasting. So when we think of teaks, we think of here and now for seven months, right? Eight months. When you're at the gathering place, we think of 13 years. And even just saying that, it gives me chills because we think we're going to have these kids on campus for 13 years. So what am I teaching them as they walk into kindergarten, the first day of school, that they're going to leave with the last day of school as a senior? And that they're going to instill in their own families and their own children. And that's where we really dive deep into that energy. What kind of energy and experiences are we giving them? But our kids have just been doing amazing things. They, we're going to dive deep into like the food deserts of San Antonio and transportation in San Antonio. And we've had students that have already developed apps um, for migrant children. We've had students that have already created toys to give to the migrant students coming um, from the border. Um, so they are engaging in work that is impactful to them, that is going to be with them forever those experiences will be with them forever and through all of that work we're teaching the teaks um you know we're, we're through the work of whatever they are passionate about and whatever the work is meaningful to them we're teaching them reading and writing and math so project-based learning is just so cool and i'm still learning exactly what that means um, I'm still learning what restorative justice means. I think we're the only school in Texas right now that has a restorative justice mission. Um, and we're a handful of a school that is completing project-based learning. That's incredible. And, you know, as we shared on a previous episode with Lisa, I, we've been really fortunate to have guests like you and humans like you who are willing to say, I'm still figuring this out. I'm still learning. And what more can we want from a teacher than someone who is open-minded to, you know, their own areas of growth and then also just to the beauty that is continued learning and curiosity in their approach to life. But I'm wondering, you know, in thinking about, I know y'all are about to go back to school or not back to school, go to school um, in person for the first time. And I'm sure that will be a whole new slew of challenges. But what do you want yourself to recall from these experiences and from this really um, pointed and intentional professional development that you've received and personal introspection? that you've had time for? Yeah, that's another great question. Um, during the PDs, I've really tried to just think like, what's sticking out to me? What do I wanna walk away with? And I keep going back to representation, representation of storytelling, representation in books of my students. Um, and and that's, that's the answer. You know, I, I want my students to feel like they are represented in the classroom. Um, that they're represented in books, that they're represented just um, as individuals, as a class, as a human, um, as the, their selves. That's so cool because I feel like that's what you would say to your teacher friends and colleagues is, um, I want you to feel represented as an educator and you should make yourself heard so that you have representation as an educator that is so aligned as, as you'd say with who you are, like it just fits. So thank you for sharing that, that's beautiful. Micah, I know you've done this before, but we wanna hear it again 
just because, you know, hey, lived experiences. But even if you say the exact same thing, it's valuable to hear. It's also valuable to say for yourself. So could you complete the sentence, please? I teach, therefore. <laughs> I honor humans. Incredible. Micah, I could go on and on, but what I really admire about you is that you are a living embodiment of how, yes, you're a teacher, and yes, I would want my child to be one of your students, but yes, you're also a really complex, really thoughtful, really um, self-aware, and even becoming more so, it sounds like, conscious person and it's just beautiful and and I think it's it's such a testament to how the field of education draws really special people and people that are so much more than just their passion for teaching if you know that's how they would describe it like they are here to do work that lives on and I'm just so glad to know you Thank you. For our listeners out there, you got to go listen to Micah speak even more on our conversation on miseducation. And hey, Micah, would you mind sending me some links to some of the things you were mentioning earlier of the resources y'all have visited in your community? And hopefully I can drop that in our episode description for any listeners especially that are Texas-based that are curious on finding out more. Would that be okay? Yeah, absolutely. Anything that you guys need or your listeners need, they can just tag me. And I'm um, so excited to tell them, you know, more about my journey at The Gathering Place and as an educator. Um, I just thank you guys for creating this platform and this opportunity for teachers to share their voice, for us to use our teacher voice. I just, I, I love, love the opportunity. So thank you both so much. <laughs> Yay, thank you, Mariana.